Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Daniel chapter 6. As we finish the chapter today, I entitled our Bible study, Threats Only Make Me Worship More. And chapter 6 is known usually as that chapter of Daniel in the lion's den. And we do find Daniel in the lion's den in our chapter before us. But what we find greater than that is a man who is willing to live a right life in a wrong world. And in the new government that's, being, that's been set up, the new world leadership, God's hand is strong upon Daniel. And you can expect that in your own life. No matter the changes that are happening at work, no matter who your new landlord is, no matter what the shifting and changings of your life might be, you can experience much change and the hand of the God is in it and upon you. And with Daniel, there was something noticeably different about him. Noticeably different in his life. We could say that his faith in God changed him and marked him. As it says in Proverbs chapter 20, you can jot it down in verse 6. Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one is truly reliable? It's from the New Living Translation. The New King James says this. Most men who proclaim his most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Well, with Daniel, we find a faithful man. And it's true that God blesses the man and blesses the woman who decides to follow him with all their heart, who makes a conscious decision over and over again to obey God, regardless of the cost, regardless of the consequence. So many times, a person will choose sin and not for a moment think about the consequence. And at the same time, a person will choose not to obey God and have no thought about the consequence. Or, even more so, they'll choose to disobey God and disregard the consequence. Or pretend there won't be one. Like in my case, like, like you, you might even find, well, that, you know, that doesn't apply to me. That, that, that scripture, that truth, that warning, well, that might apply to you, and I see it really affected you, but it doesn't really apply to me. And for a while, a behavior isn't, you know, because God, the Bible says, doesn't judge immediately, a man will set his heart fully on to, to continue to sin, fully on destruction. But the lack of immediate consequence is not God's approval in our lives. It's God's patience and his mercy and his grace. It's the love of God that leads a person to repentance. It's the love of God that brings about change in a person's life. And so there's a change in a marked change in Daniel. And God will bless the man and the woman who decides to follow him with all of his heart. Not necessarily like, well, I don't know what it means to follow him. No, it's not like I have to know everything about everything. It's like, no, what I know now, God, you have me. I'm committed to you in the moment. Daniel was a follower, but not a follower of man. He was a follower of the one true God. Notice in verse 3, just by way of review of chapter 6, in verse 3, Daniel says, soon proved himself more capable. He had great ability. 
It says, because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. He had an excellent spirit in him that was shown through his great ability. And by this time, we learned he was about 90 years old. No time to shut down 90 years old. Continuing on until we meet Jesus face to face. And what a glorious testimony that God using every generation. Then notice in verse 4, it was when he was seen to be more capable and great ability that the other administrators and the high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling his government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. And so they concluded, our only chance to find a finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Now, and this is quite a scary endeavor. It was because of his great ability. It was because of his faithfulness. It was because of that excellent spirit in him. It was because of his commitment, his lack of compromise, because he was a man above reproach. You could say that Daniel did what he could. Like to his ability, he did all that he could to be obedient, to be the man that God wanted him to be. And what did that draw from those around him? They decided to take him down. And you have to expect that to happen in your life. Because in, instead, we, we have in our minds this sense, if I do good, then good will automatically come. And if I do bad, then bad will automatically come. But haven't we learned that good things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Bad things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And here's Daniel. He is described... And, and I don't know that this description would describe any of us, perhaps. But I look at it, it says he was faithful. And I say, well, I mean, I could be known as faithful. But then notice the rest. He was always responsible. That's a big word, always. He was always responsible. I know that that phrase cannot, cannot describe me. I have not been always responsible, even as a believer, but for the, the testimony of God for Daniel in Scripture, he was always responsible and completely trustworthy. Have you ever let anyone down? Completely. That's a big word, completely. And so if there was anyone to experience good, good, good because of a faithful life, it would be Daniel. And yet these guys, most likely based out of jealousy, and being upset with the favor of God upon Daniel's life, we're looking to find something wrong with him. And they come up empty. You know, as we described it, it would probably be something like today. So they would hire a private investigator to follow you, dig through your trash, uh, find out your Comcast and your you know, Quest or your CenturyLink bill and find out how much, what you've been surfing and what your IP address is and all of that stuff. Just a searching through your life all of your bank records and everything about you, and they came up empty. And they came up empty in Daniel's life because there was nothing to find. And that should be the goal in our lives, that there's nothing to find, that our life is an open book. Remember we learned that a being above reproach is to not hold on to any known sin in our life, that let the people search. And, and no, we know right away that there's not, there, no one's gonna find perfection in our life. 
But at the same time, they're not also going to find any hidden sin in our lives. That they can search away. And they can find, you know, where we're going to look. And for him, it was his work life. It wasn't his church life, if you want to look at it in our context. It wasn't like searching out his church life. They were looking at his work life, his life in the world, his governmental affairs. They wanted to take him down. Surely there's got to be something. And they couldn't find anything because he lived, as we learn in 1 Timothy 3, a life above reproach. And today it's important that we choose to make regular, obedient decisions. Obedience begets more obedience. Disobedience begets or gives birth to more disobedience. Compromise will always lead to more compromise, not less. Evil company always corrupts good habits. So choosing the right path daily. Because there will be times when we're misrepresented. There will be times when we're slandered. When we really did nothing wrong. And that really is, that's the case. When someone's gossiping about you, it should be gossip. When somebody's slandering you, it should be slander. When somebody's misrepresenting you, it should truly be misrepresentation. Painful nonetheless, but not true. And you can stand with a clean conscience. You know, as Paul said, he said, I don't even judge myself. (laughs) Uh, my, My conscience is clear before God. He's my judge. I don't even seek to justify or judge myself. So you're thinking, well, Ed, it's impossible to live a life like that. This is a tough world, and the pressure today is even more unbearable than the pressure that Daniel faced. The stress is overwhelming, and people are watching, and people are looking. But don't be bummed out by that. As you abide in Christ, they'll see something different. They, they will see a life that reflects another world. They'll see a life of faith. They'll see what it looks like to be faithful. They'll see what it looks like to be full of faith. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Trials and tribulations await, but take a, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. Hold your place in Daniel. Would you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? 1 Corinthians is going to be to the right chapter 10. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we gain insight here from the lips of Paul, from the pen of Paul, really, to the church in Corinth. And we have the Spirit of God that's living inside of us, empowering us, giving us both the the will to do and also the desires to accomplish God's will in our lives. Notice with me in verse 13. Well, verse 12, if you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptation in your life are no different than what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. But when you are tempted, he'll show you a way out so that you can endure. In this difficult world, in this pressure-packed, stress-filled, temptation-laden world we live in, there's always a way out. Or you may have memorized it, there's always a way of escape. There's always a way out. Most of the time, when temptation comes knocking, the way out is simply this word, no. No, I won't go there. No, I won't say that. No, I won't retaliate. No, I won't write that email. No, I won't write that letter. No. And instead, no followed up with prayer. 
and just taking your cares and your concerns to the Lord. And he's faithful to meet you there. You're right, people are watching us, some more closely than others. But I want you to consider that they're not just watching us like Daniel's friends here. Many are watching us because they're curious if Christianity is really true. They're curious in their life if yet one more person that says they're a Christian is, are, are they legit or are they like all the rest? And you know that there's been a lot of observations when you hear things like, well, I'm not interested in church. It's just filled with hypocrites. Can't you consider that that person probably met a few hypocrites along the way? People that claim the name of Jesus Christ but lived very similar to, they, to his behavior. And you'd measure up, you know, if you're a Christian and you can live that way, I can live that way and never go to church. I can live that way and never read the Bible. I can live that way and engage in all kinds of things that, that I wouldn't have to restrict myself because you say you're a Christian, but you live no different than me. I just believe there's a lot of people more than anything. I would even suggest, I don't know this for a fact, but I would suggest this, the more critical, the, the more resistant are the ones that are the closest. The ones that are putting up a fight. And just really wanting to see a Christian in the fires of adversity. And wants to see how we respond. The opportunity to engage in the same sinful activity that the coworker, that the person you're sitting, and you choose not to. You know, your coworker's bragging about, oh, I don't ever pay my taxes. And your testimony is, I pay my taxes even when it hurts. And it hurts. But that's my commitment. And just living that life like Daniel, it's encouraging to me. It's not discouraging because troubles are going to come. Notice now in verse 6, it says, So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. We learned last time this was all deceitful. They're not being honest. Not everyone's in agreement with this. Daniel's not here. They're setting him up, and they're using the governmental system to do that. Because the law, like the Babylonian kingdom, the king could change the law without anybody's input. He could make a decision in the morning and change it at night. The Medes and the Persians, their laws couldn't, once they were in writing, they couldn't be revoked. And Darius is in a place of weakness here, being taken advantage of by the people that he trusts. That, that's a, another Bible study altogether, but that's a painful thing to be taken advantage of by people you trust. Notice verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in the upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. And the officials went together to Daniel's house and they found him praying, asking for God's help. So here's Daniel's response. He hears about this unfair law. He hears how it's, it's only designed to affect him. And the first thing he does, well, let's look at first thing he doesn't do. 
We don't have any hint of panic or undue worry or pressure. We have no expression of concern. We have no compromise. I mean, if you look at some of the pressure-packed places that you've been and the temptations to compromise, it would help you to understand where Daniel is. Because Daniel's life is on the line here. His life is on the line for one reason, his worship of God. It's not because he's a bad employee. It's not because he's an embezzler. It's not because he's a thief. It's not because he, he's a clock watcher or any, none of those things. His life is on the line literally because of his worship of God. And so he hears that a law has been made for 30 days that anyone worshiping anyone but the king is, is going to die. And wouldn't you think that the temptation would come? Hmm, 30 days. I think God would still forgive me. He's a God of grace if I didn't pray for 30 days or I didn't play, pray openly, but I just prayed silently in my heart, in my mind. And that way I can save my life and at the same time, I can save my life and I can make it for 30 and I can wait for the 31st day to get back to my public worship. I can just take my public worship and make it private. But that's not what he does. He doesn't choose that route. Certainly someone somewhere listening to me has been in a place where as you processed everything, you chose to stay silent for the things of God because you thought silence would get you farther than just being faithful to speak up. That's where Daniel is. Except for Daniel, his life is on the line. What would you have done? Would you have shut down? Would you have hidden? I thought of it myself. And I would think that I probably would have considered it. I have a logical mind. And I think logic would immediately kick in and if I'm not careful, my logic can crowd out my faithfulness and my faith in God. Because you know as well as I do. You've certainly met a few. If there's one thing that Christians are really good at, it's justifying sin. There's always a good reason for a bad decision in people's lives. And, and if you don't know that yet, just hang around for a while. Because it's our flesh. Our flesh loves to justify our sinful behavior. It loves, even those of you that are more black and white have a bent toward justifying. Part of it is just because the weight of conviction can be heavy. The weight of conviction, because we compromise more times than we admit. And Daniel could have been tempted. Just pray day 31 and you outsmart them. <laughs> but that's not what he did. I love these phrases. When Daniel learned, listen, verse 10, when he learned that the law, he went home, he knelt down, and I love this phrase, and we're reading from the New Living Translation. I love this phrase. He went home, knelt down as usual. He changed nothing. The laws changed, he didn't change. He stayed, I would say this was even a greater decision than any other time. But this was his pattern. What did Daniel usually do? He went home and he knelt down as usual. And he went into his upstairs room and what did he do? Closed the windows, pulled the blinds, shh, 
prayed silently? No way. As usual, he opened his windows toward Jerusalem and he prayed three times a day, just as he always had done, giving thanks to his God. Just, just that verse is encouraging to me. Daniel faced with such great temptation. Daniel faced with, with his life on the line. Went home and did what he usually did. And he sought God with his windows open as usual, as he has always done. That was his life. That was his custom. The others couldn't find anything bad in his business life, in his governmental work life. They had to find, and this is so wicked, they couldn't find anything really bad in his life. So this is what they did. They took the good of his life and made it bad. They took the good of his life and redefined it as bad. And doesn't the Bible warn us, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And there, is, there are those that will redefine your good and make it bad somehow. They will misinterpret or reinterpret or re-express or make up motives for you of something that you truly did good. He was, he, they took his good and they reinterpret it as bad. And for the reference for that phrase in Isaiah, it's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. It's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. They came against Daniel legislatively. It's the same thing that's happening in our culture today, right now as I'm speaking. The laws are changing all around us, especially in, the year, in a brand new year, all kinds of laws change. But things that the Bible clearly prohibit are being redefined and legislatively approved by whatever new government there is. Now the sin of homosexuality is known as an alternative lifestyle, pressuring the culture to accept it. Adultery is known as having an affair. Abortion is just a woman's choice. Drunkenness is another disease. And I'm convinced in my lifetime as a pastor that I will be accused by someone for stirring up hate or being someone that hates people because I call a behavior sin based upon the word of God. Not just an alternative lifestyle or a choice. Or We were talking about this just before service, the pastor's. We had a quick meeting before service and we were talking about the great burden it is to carry as we're ministering to broken people. It's a painful thing to walk through the consequences and the destruction of sin. It hurts. When I watch a family disintegrate, when I see kids go sideways, when I see the consequences of bad, sometimes it didn't happen here that somebody shows up here and we're dealing with the consequences of, of this repetitive behavior and, and what a painful thing it is. When I teach a Bible study and I warn you against sin, I'm not trying to pontificate. I'm not trying to stand above you like I'm above sin myself. It's almost like my heart is to plead with you to agree with God or you'll ruin your life. You'll ruin your life. It will destroy your life. You're like, well, wait, how do you know? Because I see, it on the, I, I, I see it on the authority of God's word. And for many years, I lived under the pain and penalty of unconfessed sin. 
before I was born again. And it just destroys your life. It destroys your kids. It destroys your family. It destroys relationships. It has a long-term consequence. Some sins, the consequence will be with you until you meet Jesus face to face. Yes, God will forgive sin. And yes, God can restore. And yes, God can do a great thing. But don't experience the great things of God by going the route of sin. Like if you can avoid it now, please avoid sin. And it's not because I hate people that are caught in sin. It's not because I hate people that are involved in a lifestyle. I've dedicated my life not because of hatred, but because of love. Because I want you to experience the love of God, your creator. Like any good parent, you're going to warn your kids from something that would hurt them. You're not going to wait for them. You're not going to stand there and wait for them to stick their palm on the flat stove that you have. You're not just going to sit by the edge there on the doorway, leaning over and going, well, it's almost there. It's almost there. He's going to learn his lesson. He's going to learn his lesson. No, you're going to teach, and you're going to warn, and you're going to teach, and you're going to warn, and you're going to even set up safeguards. You might even get one of those rails and block off the doorways to keep your kids away from the stove. And you can, you know, your kid's probably not thinking of the stove. You go, why are you putting this up here? My cookies are over there. I want my cookies. I want my cookies. And you have a bigger picture. You say, no, no, no. That's up there. I'm, I'm not even concerned about the cookies. There's danger in there. And you're not old enough to understand how to navigate. So I'm going to help you. And as we find in our culture this legislative press and push to conform I think pastors have made great errors to rely upon the law in order to teach the Bible. I'll give you a great example of that. Just not even a few years ago, if someone asked about using marijuana, smoking a joint, popping some marijuana in a brownie, and they came to a pastor, not necessarily here, and definitely not to me, I didn't use it this way, but it was a common argument. Don't have marijuana because it's illegal. And that was the matter. You didn't take the time to explain it's a gateway drug. You didn't take the time to explain what the Bible says, not to be drunk with wine, but, which is in excess, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit under the control of the Spirit. Not some, you didn't take the time to explain a biblical narrative. It, it's it's going to lead to something worse. It, it's, they don't even know how bad it is for your body yet. Like all of those, they, you could give them all. It was just, no, don't do it because it's illegal. And usually that was enough for people and it was illegal and they didn't want to go to jail and, and that, that was enough. But to me it wasn't enough because there should be a biblical answer for what we say. Because what happened in our grand old states? It's not illegal anymore. It's promoted. And I haven't seen the numbers recently, but I'm certain that it's a high level of income for our government. Taxable income. I was reading just recently that marijuana was legalized in Chicago and Illinois and they ran out. The demand was so great. They ran out. And we need to learn, church, how to explain the love of God when it relates to sin. And part of that is learning, like Jesus, not to take the first step or the second step with condemnation. With looking down our nose at people. Instead, remembering where we came from. How hopeless 
And maybe it wasn't you personally because God gave you the strength and the, the testimony. You have a strong testimony yourself, not because you were in sin, but because God gave you the power to avoid it. And that's a strong testimony. Unfortunately, guys like me, I have another type of testimony that I think is equally strong, and that's the delivering power out of sin. You have, some of you have a testimony of the delivering power from sin, but my testimony is the delivering power to be delivered from the power of sin because it had its clutches on my life. So who am I to look down at someone that's under the clutches of sin today? I don't. I don't want to look down at you at all. You might be here today. That's your testimony. And you're like, well, you know, I'm in another church and they're going to preach at me. And you know, he mentioned one of the things I'm involved in and, and now he thinks he's better than me. I don't think I'm better than you. But I do know this. Jesus Christ died to deliver you from the lifestyle that you're in right now. He died to sober you and give you a clear-headed mind. He died to help you navigate some of the feelings that you have and the confusion that's in your mind. He died so that you don't have to be under the influence of any substance just to get through the day, just to get through the pain, just to get through the sorrow, that God is able to encourage you and strengthen you from the inside out. And I, I understand and I acknowledge the battle that's there. And, and it, you know, the world can call it a lifestyle. The world can call it a choice, a disease, or whatever. But the Bible calls it a sin. And until you agree with the Bible, you'll never see your need to ask for the forgiveness of that sin. You'll never see the need. And as long as I'm in the pulpit, I will call sin what it is as God describes it. And I always paint the picture, I hope, of sin and the remedy for sin. I have never to this day in the years that I've, uh, uh, that I've visited a doctor, I've never met a doctor that diagnosed me and told me to leave. This is your problem? I'm sorry, my time's up. It's lunchtime. Never. I never met a doctor that did that. Never met a dentist that did that. Here's your problem. See you later. They've always diagnosed it and gave me a way to see it healed. And I think every true pastor will do the same thing. Yeah, sin's nasty. It's destructive and it's horrible and it's harmful and it destroys. But you'll see in a moment that not even legislation's going to hold back the will of God in Daniel's life. Notice with me now in verse 12. So they went straight to the king and they reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law for the next 30 days? Any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. And it is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, and by the way, remember, just for context, that 90-year-old man from Judah, the old guy, Daniel, he's ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. But he spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. So while it's predictable, their, their plot worked, their plot happened in their physical realm, and of course, many of you that grew up in church, you know the Sunday school story, Daniel's going to get cast into a den of lions. But before he goes, the, call, the king is going to call him to himself. Notice in verse 16. 
And so at last, excuse me, verse 15, in the evening the men went together to the king and said, your majesty, you know, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, may your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. And the king is overwhelmed. He has a relationship with Daniel. He loves Daniel. He's entrusted Daniel to the, one of the highest levels of leadership. This, you'll recall that the transition between kingdoms, this is unheard of. Daniel lasted among kingdoms. He didn't, um, he, it, wasn't, it was more than, like in, in our system of government, it was more than just a, a, a person from a Democratic uh, or a Republican party in one office carry over to the opposite office. This was far greater This was from kingdoms, Daniel's integrity and his reliability and the love of the king for Daniel was clear, but he couldn't alter the law. It was established. And we see that the king in verse 14 was deeply troubled. And why does the Bible include verse 15? Sometimes we miss these little things as we go through the text. But remember back in chapter 2, the vision, the metals weakened in strength. Remember the vision? The metals weakened in strength as you move down the image. And the Medo-Persians and their form of government was weaker than the Babylonian form of government. And so there's just this little statement in verse 15. You know, there's no way uh, in, in the evening they reminded him, your laws can't be changed. Now, In verse 16 it says, So at last the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested, thrown into the den of lions, and the king said, May your God whom you serve so faithfully rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting, He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And so with great anxiety and fear and hopelessness, the king is awake all night, pacing, worrying. And Daniel, well notice in verse 19, very early the next morning the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, Was your God, whom you serve, so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And check this out. We just read it like no big deal. Daniel answered, long live the king. (laughs) My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me. For I I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. Daniel, in the lion's den, and their mouths were closed. I wonder if the king expected to hear Daniel. I wonder what was happening. I wonder what, if it was just a human thing or it was a spiritual thing. Or if he would look, would he hear a groan? Would he hear a grunt? Would he hear roars of the lion? But the answer was sure. Daniel was alive. And the first thing out of his mouth is, long live the king. A very unjust, a very horrible thing happens. And there is a affirmation of the man and the government that God placed over Daniel. 
because he believed in the God that overruled governments. And he experienced it. This is just the super, I mean, this is overwhelmingly supernatural to be in a lion's den. I mean, that's just like, I don't know if you saw the, the uh, meme, or it wasn't even a meme, it was a little video of a kid standing there at a zoo, and the, he was there at the glass. I don't know if you guys saw that. We should have brought it up and showed it. And he's a little kid, the mom's, uh, somebody's filming him, a little kid there, and there's a tiger behind him, kind of crouching, and he's moving up, and then he leaps at the kid and hits the window. And the kid doesn't know what's going on, and it was like, wow, he captured that and showed it to him one day at his wedding or something. It's like, look at this. Like the, 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 how ferocious the, the animals were. And yet God was faithful. And Daniel rested in the will of God. I don't really think anyone listening to me will ever be thrown into a lion's den and happen to see what Daniel is experiencing here. But there is a lot of roaring around us to try to destroy our peace, our comfort, our joy, you may have today people going after you, just trying to ruin your life, ruin your reputation. They want your job. They want your car. They want your house. They want you, whatever it might be. Sometimes you don't even know the motives. They're being used as a, as a tool of the enemy to discourage you and hurt you and harm you. And yet, like Daniel, you can face the lions. You can face the lions. You can trust God. A key to living right in a world that's wrong is faithful following of Jesus Christ wherever he might lead. To be full of faith. He's looking for faithful followers and followers who follow faithfully. Just one foot in front of another. Whatever might come. It's so vital that we're people of prayer, leaning on the Lord, abiding in Him, and asking for the calmness of God in the midst of the most extraordinary circumstances. Notice in verse 23, it says, The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Or in the New, New King James it says, Whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. One of the reasons why we gather together is be reminded of the faithfulness of God. One of the reasons we gather together midweek is why? Because you made it through the day. You made it. Here you are. Rejoice in that. You made it through today. Just rejoice in the faithfulness of God. We just kind of take it for granted. And you, some of you feel like, I just made it here. You made it. And you go, some of you are yelling at me right now online. I didn't make it, Ed, but you're online. <laughs> Maybe you're listening to this on Thursday on a podcast, but you made it into the Word of God. And that's yesterday you made it. And the day before you made it. And maybe on Monday you didn't know. Maybe Sunday you didn't know. I don't think I'm going to make it. But here it is three days later. Still making it. Step by step. Yeah, we haven't been thrown into the lion's den, but he comes out without a scratch. He comes out without a scratch. 
He comes out without a scratch. Some of you can't even play with your kitty cats without a scratch. Without a scratch. The mouths of the lions were closed, and I believe God will close the mouths of the lions that you're facing. I believe it. I've experienced it. Sometimes when we're in the midst of a lion's den on our own, if we react frantically and out of emotion and out of control, we'll miss the opportunity that Daniel didn't miss. We'll miss the opportunity to see his testimony strengthened by the lions, not weakened by him freaking out. And we would understand. I don't know that anyone here would go, Daniel, Daniel, it's okay, bro. Freak out, man. Glad it's you and not me. Like, of course. Of course, the, the circumstances, they cause us to respond emotionally, but yet God will keep you in perfect peace, those that trust in him. And so it becomes a matter of faith and trusting God. And his testimony came without a scratch. Not a scratch was found on him because he believed. that. Why was it? It's, it even gives us the reason in verse 23. Why wasn't a scratch found on him? Because he trusted in his God. <laughs> it encourages me. Because as we enter into this year, I want my faith to grow. And I recognize that part of the growth of faith is facing some lions. And we forget that our King of Kings and our Lord of Lords is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. So much greater, so much grander. He is the God who created and sustains all things. He's the God that works all things together for the good, for those that love him. And so here you are going into the fiery trial, into a devastating den, and you're scared, and you're wondering, and you're unsure. Know this, your belief and your behavior are connected. And when you enter in by faith, then you'll have a peace in the midst of the storm. We associate many times peace with the absence of the storm. I mean, that, that's not a bad thing to pray for. Who wants to be in a storm? Who wants, I was just meditating on it this week. You know, we're in the midst of something crazy, midst of something hard, overwhelming. We're crying out to God. We're pleading with God, take it away, take it away, God. I can't handle it. And yet... That situation has brought you closer to God than you've ever been in your whole life. And you're actually asking for God to take something away that has made you a stronger, more faithful, trustworthy believer who's been closer to God in the last three years than you've ever been in your whole life. And as you grow and mature, you begin to learn to embrace the moment and live in the moment, biding in Christ. Oh, sure, nobody wants to be in a place where you just throw it on me, give me more trials, I want to grow. But when they come, we learn to trust in God. And I love this. It all turns around, right? Verse 24, if you wait long enough, if you endure long enough, it'll turn around. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who maliciously accused Daniel. Oh, it did it come out? Did the truth come out? You bet it did. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. You know why? Your sin always affects those closest to you. It's never only you. It always affects those that are close to you. And the lions leaped on them, it says, and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. That's the kind of lions that Daniel was sleeping with and hanging out with. Maybe going, here, kitty, and starting to name them and, you know, this one, and, you know, know their personalities and train them and 
King Darius sent a message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the whole world. Peace and prosperity to you, verse 26. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and during the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And so the life of Daniel inspires yet another world leader to declare the goodness of God to the known world at the time. It is, it is one of the reasons I believe in the New Testament that God asks us to pray for those in authority. Everyone in authority, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not. Because from their place of authority, they can become a mouthpiece to the truth and the goodness and the graciousness of God. And so we're to do that. And faithful followers living, following faithfully, people of prayer, leaning in and leaning on the Lord brings a steady calmness in our lives. I love this. It's so good. So Father, thank you for revealing to us in the life of Daniel a faithfulness that is ours as we trust you. You you literally, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, live inside of us. And you empower us. And we're not on our own. And so I know that there's temptations and compromises and, and maybe even outright, uh, you know, deceit that is happening right now in this moment among men and women that are true believers, perhaps men and women that are fake believers, and because of their fear and their emotion, they've made mistakes and they freaked out and they have not trusted in you, God, and I, I just pray you would draw them together with your cords of love. And in the culture war that we're in and the challenge. I thank you for the men and women you've called to be in, the, in politics. I thank you for the men and women that you've called to be in the household. I thank you for men and women you've called to be in the church, in the seminaries. I thank you for the men and women you've called to be in the public schools. I call, thank you for the men and women you called to be at the private schools, for the men and women you've put in driving and delivery and serving at restaurants and making food. And and I thank you, God, for spreading your church with the gifts and talents that you've given to us and distributed us throughout the world to make a difference for you. And as we're praying for faith and we're, we're believing you and we're trusting you and we're facing the lion and we're facing the fiery darts of the enemy and the fiery pit uh, that, that they were, the young men were thrown into earlier... <coughs> that you would enable us. I'm just thinking of um, Elizabeth Elliot, Lord, when she said, just do the next thing, that we would have that steady walk when we feel like it, when we don't feel like it, when things are going our way, when things aren't going our way, so that step by step, we'll learn to grow in your grace and knowledge and our testimony will have an effect on those that are closest to us. So forgive us, God. Just hear the prayers of forgiveness in this room today. Hear the prayers of forgiveness, those listening on the radio, as they cry out to you and just say, Lord, forgive me. I, 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 forgive me for this. This happened today and happened last week and I haven't been honest. I haven't been truthful. I've compromised here. And you're just purifying your church. You're purifying 
our hearts before you. Your word brings purity, change into us. So we dedicate ourselves afresh and anew, God. Thank you for the stamina and strength to make it through today. And if you should wake us up in the morning or heading off to work tonight, that we would walk in your strength, keeping us in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on you because we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.